You know, Larry told you guys last week a little story um, about something that uh, one of the most incredible experiences that he had. And uh, what he doesn't know is that I, too, have run with horses. In Puerto Rico, they have these mountain horses that live in the forest, deep in the forest. And they, they frolic on the beaches, and I one time ran with them. But lo longer than, like, 30 seconds, it was, like, you know, like, hours. We were just... We were just running around the whole island. It was just like laps. We were just doing laps. It was, it was great. Um, no, I have never run with horses. That would sound awesome, though. Puerto Rico doesn't have wild horses. We do have wild deer. And the reason for that is because they were imported to hunt. And so they survived in the wild on certain of the small islands. This is random. I don't know why I'm telling you this. But they swim from island to island. Uh, these little deer, they're like really small and they just kind of swim around because, you know, so it's, so I could run with those. <laughs> Let me pray and then we'll jump into the, the word this morning. God, thank you so much that we can laugh and enjoy uh, company and this uh, friendship and this, uh, this community and this, this family of people. We can come together, Lord, and share experiences, but also to learn and to grow and to listen. And I pray that you would open our hearts in our ears, uh, to hear what you have for us this morning. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of my favorite verses growing up was, uh, we've been in, sorry, let me back up a little bit. We've been in a series called Pain and Promise. And we've been uh, looking through the, the book of Jeremiah, which is one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. And one of my favorite verses has been uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. And it's probably one of the most popular verses uh, in the Bible. People just know it, right? And oftentimes you'll see it. My family, uh, um, most of my family, my, my dad has eight, had eight sisters. Uh, and so um, most of them are believers. And so you go to their house and, and in my parents' house, there was all these like little precious moment uh, Bible verse things and like, you know, these little angels holding a Bible and saying, you know, like God is love and everyone's so precious and so beautiful and porcelain and breakable. And, and uh, you know, and, and there's, you know, always these verses, right? And so Jeremiah 29 is one of those verses. Tomás, ponle Put the, there you go. And so we'll, always, we'll often we'll see them in like these beautiful settings. You know, we'll put the other one, uh, you know, with like these like trees and it's all serene. And it's all beautiful. And, and it's this promise, you know, I know the plans that I have for you to prosper you, not to harm you, to give a hope in a future. And, and if you Google search that verse, right, it's going to come up with all these different one things, right? And growing up, um, this has been kind of one of the life verses uh, for me, right? And um, whenever a moment in my, uh, like a big thing or a moment happened, it was like, it was easy for me to then just say, oh, God knows the plans he has for me. And like, you know, and then that would be fine, right? I like this girl in college and she was really cute. And I, you know, I asked her out and we were like, hey, well, let's, let's talk or whatever. And then I felt the Lord, I mean, this really happened. I felt the Lord say like, no, 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 this, she's not for you. I'm like, what? What do you mean? Like, she's, she's perfect and blah, blah. And I was like, no, 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 don't worry. And then in my heart, I'm like, oh, for I know the, Lord, the plans that you have for me, Lord. You have someone else for me. Her name is Margarita. Yes, I'm hearing you. No, like, no, no, no that didn't happen. But I would, like, I would, like, read the verse, right? And I'd be, like, you know, like this, like, this lofty feeling, like, okay, well, there's something else, right? And it's easy in life um, to, well, it's not easy in life. Um, well, here's the question. It really boils down to this. How real is God for you? How real is God? Because here's the thing. There's like, 
life is layered, right? There's, there's, there's moments in life that are kind of, they're kind of light, and it's easy to believe God in those moments, right? Um, you drive, and it's like 1130, and you know it's impossible to get a parking space, and you're like doing circles around your house, and you're like, for I know the plans that you have for me, Lord, and, and Jesus, provide a parking, and right there, someone like pulls out, and you're like, yes, God loves me, and he's like, and you like park, and he's like, yes, you know, and then there's moments in life that are a little bit more, uh, you know, a little more medium, uh, right, and uh, you know, there's a, like semi more difficult things, right, in life that like kind of get a little harder to believe that God is for you, and that God is with you, and that God is listening to you, right? And uh, I think about, like, I, I've been fired before, right? And those, those moments are painful and hard, and it's like, ah, well, you know, but okay, I can, I can do this. God is with me, right? And then we have the moments that are like, you know, extra crispy, you know? Uh, and um, these are the life-shattering moments. These are the moments when the rug is pulled out from underneath you. These are the moments that everything that defined who you were and who you are, what provided safety and security and identity has just been torn away. And we question in those times, why me? Or God, where are you? Why is this happening to me? And so my question is, how real is God? Because it's, some, it's easy for us to sometimes be in these quadrants, right? But then when this happens, everything falls apart. Because we're stripped of all these extra things. And so where does this verse fall in? Um, and, and where does God exist for you in, the, in these spaces? And where are you at right now in your life? And so I want us to turn to Jeremiah 29, 11, Because there's a danger in plucking verses out of their context and just using them for whatever we want to do with them. It, there's a danger of just like saying like taking whatever meaning we want out of it. There is, there is a meaning that God is communicating uh, to his people. There is a reason these verses exist. And I think it's really, really important for us to, to sit in, 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 in this context and to really understand what does this verse really mean? What is God really sharing uh, with this? And so I want us to open to Jeremiah 29. And this is kind of the bookend Wendy started sharing a little bit about this verse, and this is probably one of the uh, key verses of Jeremiah. Um, and so let's, let's, uh, let's dig in. And just to give you a little context, a moment to reflect. Okay. I don't have any swanky Young Life bottle to, to give you promotion while, um, while I do that. <clears throat> I do have many, many Young Life bottle, water bottles, actually, so if you want one, just let me know. Uh, but the context of Jeremiah 29, so let's, let's find out where it is, and then let's, uh, let's look at the verses then um, and what it's saying. So basically, what's happening right now is uh, Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, just kind of reviewing, um, is a chapter, is a book which is basically just this warning. Jeremiah is warning the people of Israel, you turn from the evil that you're doing, turn from your wicked ways, right? The people had turned from God and had kind of gone to their own, to do their own thing. Uh, Jeremiah uh, 2, verse 13 says this, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. 
So basically what he's saying is like God is saying, hey, my people have done two sins. Number one is they turned away from me. They rejected me. They've walked away. And the second part is uh, I'm their living water, their spring of water. Because in Israel, they, they, they're not connected to this major river. The Jordan River is not a crazy powerful river, right? This is, it's a small river. I've, I've been there. I've seen it. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's underwhelming, right, in some places. And uh, so the people of Israel relied on, on rain. They relied on springs. And, and God was using this metaphor that I am the provision for you, right? And they would have understood this very clearly. But they've turned from these springs and dug their own cisterns. So not only are they turning from God, but then they're also then relying on themselves and these other things and saying, these are going to be the things that are not going to provide me uh, substance, substance and life. These broken uh, things. And so uh, for the first uh, 24 chapters of Jeremiah, he's just caught, bringing warning. Turn, you, return to the Lord. Repent. Come back to the Lord. And he compares Israel to, uh, to an adulterous wife who has uh, just kind of run, uh, well, you guys get the image, right? <laughs> I don't need to, we don't need to go any farther than that. Um, and he's saying, return to me. Return to your husband. I will take you back, even after all these things. And here's the thing. Uh, there is a the prevalent belief in in Judah at the time that God would um, always protect them, and that they could just kind of live their life any way they wanted to, and that God would always be there, because the temple was there in Jerusalem, and the temple was not only a symbol of God's presence; it was literally God's presence in the people and amongst them, and so they would say, "Well, as long as the temple is here, we're safe." We're safe, we're safe, we're safe. The temple is, keeps us safe, right? And Jeremiah comes to them, and, and he starts to give them warning. And in chapter 7, he, uh, the warning that he gives them is this. And let me read it to you, and maybe some of this will sound familiar. Jeremiah 7, he says... Um, if you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the alien, the immigrant, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow the other gods of your, uh, to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave you, your forefathers, forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words and they are meaningless. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and burn incense to Baal and follow other gods that, have not, that you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe. Safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. See, he's, the, what the problem that was going on is as they had turned from God is the leadership, the king's, the politicians, the leadership of the people had become very corrupt. And what was happening was rampant social injustice. Those most vulnerable, the alien, the widow, the orphan, were being oppressed. See, God cares about those people. God deeply cares 
about the least of these. And for him to see this injustice, he's calling them out, return to me. We need to stop. This needs to change. And the people of God did not change. And so we find ourselves in Jeremiah 29, 11, God's punishment comes onto the people. And he says, return to me or I will bring an army from the north, right? And this army is the Babylonians. And the Babylonians come in and they, and they sack the city. And they carry away, uh, so actually into exile. So actually there are, uh, in Jeremiah, there are two exiles. There are two big moments of exile. The first one happens in uh, 598, right? Um, Wendy talked a little bit about the history and said that if you wanted to go a little bit deeper, you could look into uh, 2 Kings 22 through 24. Well, I did because I love history and I love those stories. And they're incredibly fascinating, but also incredibly painful and difficult, right, what the people have to go through here. But essentially, uh, Jeremiah 29 comes down to three words. Exile, build, and promise. And so looking at exile, uh, the first exile happens in 598. And what happens is then the Babylonians come in and they take all the, all the leaders, the politicians, the noble families. They take all the artists and the craftsmen. Uh, they take all the educated and the good looking. And, <laughs> and they leave everybody else, right? This was a strategy for the Babylonians. Yeah, left all the scragglers. Like, you will take, you, uh, we're going to leave you. <laughs> That's my father-in-law. Anyways, <laughs> he loves me. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so the first exile, they take all the, all the higher level people, right? And the idea here, this was, a, this was a political strategy, right, is it makes it easier if you remove all the leadership for the people to follow uh, the empire that had now colonized, right, and had taken over. Um, and so this group of people had been taken into exile and taken into Babylon. And now they're living there and their question is like, well, what do we do? Like when everything that you know has been stripped away, right? When everything that had made you you has been taken from you, what do we do? And who are we? There's this important tension that then happens, right, between the people who are left in Jerusalem and the people who have been taken in exile. And, and there's this struggle of, like, well, who, which of us is going to carry on? Like, the, the people in Israel, uh, in Jerusalem, are like, well, we're the ones who stayed, and we have the temple, and we have the city, so we're going to be the chosen people. And the people who are in the, in the exile are saying, well, well, but we're still God's people, we don't have the temple. We don't have the, uh, we don't have the city, but we're still God's people. What do we do? Who are we? How do we live? What do, what, what do we believe? Where do we go? How do we worship? All these things stripped away from them that made them who they were, that identified them. And to this people, Jeremiah writes uh, chapter 29. And, uh, and so uh, chapter 29 is a letter that goes to the people who are living in exile. These people who had been carried away over 700 miles. And they're in a new land with strange customs, with a, a language that's uh, incomprehensible to them, an unfamiliar landscape, right? Different weather. Like everything is different, new faces, and they'll never see their home again, their family, their friends. And they're, they're trying to figure out, what do I do? What does this life look like? 
And so to this, Jeremiah writes this letter. And this is uh, what he says to them. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. And find wives for your sons. And give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also, check this out. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. Pray to the Lord for it is for, uh, pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The people are like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Like, what are you saying here? What is this command? This is something like completely different than that, because the 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 prophets and the other people, the pastors and the leaders in that community that had been exiled, had been saying, you know what, guys, don't get comfortable. Don't unpack your bags. We're going home. God's, God has not forgotten us. We're going home. It's going to be okay. We're all going to go home. And, and like this is going to happen. And they've just been kind of sitting there in this holding pattern, unsure of what to do, unsure of themselves, of who they are. And this voice from Jeremiah comes and says, no. Settle in. Plant. Build. Give your children over. Because what was going to happen, and, and the, the prophecy that came to them is, this is going to be 70 years. You're going to be here for 70 years. And he, and he goes through this, uh, he says, give your children away, you know, your first generation. Your second generation is your children, right? Give them, get them, marry them so that then they could have children. Like, this is going to be three generations deep. Settle in. This is the place for you. Right? And sometimes in the, middle of, uh, in the middle of crisis, we're confused as to what we should be doing, right? Where do we go? And this is what God is telling them. Build houses. Settle down. Plant gardens. Marry and have children. Do you know what all these things have in common? They have two things in common. One is uh, these are the basic elements of life, right? Even scientifically, like Anything that's alive, what is it? Its preoccupation is to uh, reproduce and find uh, substance for sustaining itself. Right, eating. Essentially, like this is the building blocks of life. He's saying, "Look, settle down and live." And the second thing is, these things take time. All these things take time. Planting takes time. When my uh, uh, when my dad passed away, I started to, uh, I went out and bought all these uh, seeds, right? Because I was going to, like, uh, plant these bonsais because my dad loved to do bonsais. So I was going to, like, contrib- like tribute to him. I was going to, like, put all these bonsais. And so I planted all these seeds, and I sat there. <laughs> you know, planting bonsais is not a fun hobby, okay? And I would, like, I would, like, water it. Okay, my God's not doing anything, right? And uh, I essentially, I killed all my bonsais because I overwatered them, right? I was like, this is like a dog, right? You got a morning and night and afternoon. You just like keep putting water. If something's going wrong with a plant, it must need more water, right? So it just kept pouring, right? And nothing, none of them grew, nothing happened, right? But after like four months, I'm like, 
yeah, this is a dumb idea. Never mind. <laughs> I moved on, right? But like all of these things, building houses, planting a garden, all of these things take time. And we are a people who don't want things to take time. We are a people who want things happen now. We are a people who want um, to see God's movement happen right now. And so are the people who were waiting in exile. God, what are you doing? And God is telling them to settle in. And not only that, but then he says this, seek the peace and prosperity to the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. See, God had taken this, uh, their shalom, their peace, their well-being, and had taken the well-being and peace of, the, of their conquerors, and all of a sudden he had made them one. And all of a sudden they were intertwined, and all of a sudden they were connected to each other. Right, because to think about it, like if, if, you, if I was them, I would have been like, all right, well, how do I like, if I'm here, how do I, how could I like be some subversive kind of like sleeper cell, right? How do I like figure out a way of bringing this down from the inside? How do I like conquer them or, you know, like weasel my way into like this important place and then destroy the whole thing, right? And to bring it all down, right? Hurting people hurt other people. Broken people break other people, right? And so how do we do that? And, and, and yet, God is telling them, no. Your prosperity is intertwined with the people who had conquered you. And that's kind of crazy when you think about it. Uh, Walter Brueggemann says this, right? The imperative, uh, this command, right, uh, bestows upon this vulnerable and small community a large missional responsibility, Right In this way, the community is invited into a larger public process of the empire. Such a horizon prevents this exilic community from withdrawing into its own safe and sectarian existence and gives it work to do and responsibility for the larger community. It's saying, like, hey, I brought you... Out of, your, uh, out of Judah, right? You are exiled. And in this tragedy and in this space of pain and difficulty, I'm calling you to build around you. Build your family. Build your community. Build yourself. Build up. Pray for the places that you are in. Because if they prosper, you will prosper. It's this command to his people to not just sit on the sidelines, to not just wallow in self-pity or feeling sorry for themselves, but to, to, to devote themselves to the prosperity, to devote themselves to serving in the community that they live. And there's actually a, some, a, a really interesting story of uh, one of the other prophets, Daniel. And I hadn't made this connection yet, even though I had studied Daniel and I've read Daniel before, and I hadn't made this connection. But Daniel is one of the young men who was exiled from, Bab- uh, from Jerusalem to Babylon. And Daniel uh, probably 
had seen his family either murdered or stripped away from him, and he was carried off into this faraway land, in this faraway place. His family, his identity was stripped from him. And the Bible, in, in the book of Daniel, the first chapter, it talks about his experience. He was brought to this new country. And <clears throat> now, there's some evidence, and some people would suggest this, but what are the things that they, they do to him? They do all these terrible things to him. He has to learn a new language. He has to uh, be educated in this completely new career. He has to be uh, brought into this, uh, into this home uh, that he didn't belong to. And there are some who believe that he was even made a eunuch. And not only that, but what Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, who had stripped all these people and taken them into exile, uh, one of the things that, uh, that they loved to do is they would change your name. And Daniel means God is my justice or the justice of God. And his name was changed. They like took everything from him, all of his identity, all the things that made him him. And Daniel was put into this, this space. And Daniel very possibly could have been someone who heard the words of Jeremiah, who heard the instructions to plant, to build, to grow. And Daniel had a choice because Daniel was brought in with all these other boys that had been conquered as well. And he had three friends, Hananiah, uh, Azariah, and Mishael. And their names were also changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You might have heard them. They, they have a later on in season two, they come out, right? <laughs> but when they're there, they had a choice. They were brought into the service of the king and they had a choice. They could just give in and live completely like everybody else and give in to the tide of temptation of forgetting their identity, forgetting who they were. And yet, they chose to hold on to their belief. They chose to hold on to who God was. And though everything was stripped from them, their language, their families, their home, their names, what you couldn't, when you strip everything away, when everything that makes you you is taken away, and all that's left, sometimes we find what's really down below, what's really on the inside. And for Daniel, it was this deep conviction that God is my justice. And that I am the people of God, and I have to live that way. And so Daniel chose to listen to the words of Jeremiah and to follow that. Se puso las pilas y se puso a trabajar. He, he took that on and he dedicated himself, but not forgetting who he was, but devoted himself to the Lord and to serving and to building the kingdom. And over time, he became one of the central and most important persons in the kingdom. But this took time. He had to learn a new language. He had to learn the new customs. He had to... to, to follow all these rules and these different regulations, right? And, 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 and reinvent himself in a big way, but not forgetting who he was and not forgetting who God was in him. And it wasn't easy, right? Daniel, uh, if you think that, oh, well, great, he just all of a sudden becomes this like super important guy. No, Daniel has to go through the fire. And one of the most famous episodes in Daniel's life, episode seven, right? He has to go and... Uh, and he gets thrown into the lion's den. 
right, which was a, a, a death sentence, and yet God spared him. And um, so the first word is exile, right? The people of God were exiled. The second word is build, right? Build and plant. And the third word is this, promise. And uh, verse 10, it says this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you. And fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray and I will listen to you. I will, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I have carried you into exile. See, the promise that God has given to us, or given, uh, sorry, given to them, is embedded in the middle of the exile. It's embedded in the middle of the pain. It's embedded in the middle of the difficulty. It's embedded in the middle of the displacement. It's embedded in the middle of the dislocation. And the call is this promise of return. And here's the kicker. The people who would be listening to this had understood that they are not going to be the ones to see this promise fulfilled. That this is for their children and their children's children. But there is still a hope. Because here's the thing. In the midst of the trials and the struggles and the pain of which we are facing, God has still promised that there is still this plan. There is still this promise. There is still this hope that God has not abandoned his people, that God has not forgotten his people, that God has not left them, but that there is a plan, and that plan comes with pain and comes with difficulty. And so devote yourself, lean in, plant, build, give yourself to marriage, build the community that you're in, because I am with you. And there is a promise. 4,600 people were exiled from uh, Israel, uh, from Judah, Daniel being one of them. 49,000 returned 70 years later. They saw Jerusalem, the city, destroyed. And the Lord brought uh, the governor, Zerubbabel, that's a good name for anyone who's having a baby, was able to rebuild the city. Nehemiah, who was an exiled uh, Hebrew, was the cupbearer to the king of Babylon. And he saw and heard of what was going on in Judah. And 70 years later, he returns to, to Jerusalem and rebuilds the wall. And you can read about his story in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. 
And not only that, but uh, Ezra, who was the high priest, living in exile, returned with those 49,000 people. He led the 49,000 people to return back to their city, to rebuild their homes, to rebuild the temple of the Lord, to rebuild what God had given to them, this return. And they saw the Lord restore all these things. And so the takeaway for us is this. That being chosen, being a part of the community of God does not exempt us from difficulty and pain. And for a long time, I just believed, as long as my family served God and believed God, that we were exempt from difficulties, that we were exempt from problems, that we were exempt from pain. And then my dad got sick. And it shook the core of who I am. But here's the thing is, as we process, as we trust in God in the little things to find us parking, right? And as we trust in God to, to do that, we can build our trust in the harder things. And as we trust in God in those things, we can see that God is faithful even in the pain and the difficulty and the struggle. Though God does not exempt us from the pain and the struggle, his promise is the same promise that I am with you. Isaiah 40 says that when you go through the fire, you will not be burned. And when you pass through the waters, they will not overcome you. It is not a promise to, to protect you from the fire or the water, but that as you go through it, I will be with you. And so the exile comes to us and the things that strip us of all the things that we know until there only remains God. And it is in those moments that our faith is cemented. Build and plant. What do we do now in the midst of that? space do i wallow in this pain do i just uh do i just sit around waiting for better days no the call to israel at the time was build plant live and the call to us is the same and maybe you feel isolated maybe you feel dislocated maybe you have you are feeling exiled Quizás en este día tú te sientes uh, que el Señor te ha sacado de tu país o de tu pueblo o de tu familia y estás deportado de, de tu país, de donde tu hogar. Quiero que sepas, el Señor te está llamando a construir, a seguir, porque yo estoy contigo y sigo contigo. The Lord is still with us. He has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. But His promise continues because the promise is embedded in the pain. The promise is embedded in these situations that have stripped us of all these things. And in the midst of that exile, we can hold on to this truth. Psalm 34 says, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. And so in this space of pain, of difficulty, of struggle, the promise of the Lord continues for his people that we are a part of a greater story. 
and continues for us as individuals, that there is a bigger story of what God is doing in your life. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And you will call upon me and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from all the places that I have sent you. The Lord is present. Call on him. 